Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. I am so excited to share with you some personal stories, inspiring tips, helpful information and guest interviews to support you on your journey in finding peace with food. Today is the very first podcast. How exciting. And I'm going to kick off today with five secrets from the eating disorder therapy room. Working as a therapist with clients, I want to give you a personal insight into the psychology of disordered eating. And I'm hoping that this episode will give you some insights and thoughts to take away to think about your own relationship with food or those close to you. So number one, the trigger. There's often a trigger for disordered eating behaviour, something that sets it off. And before this, there might have been low mood or poor self-esteem or bad body image. It doesn't usually come from nowhere. A trigger happens when there's an external stressor or change. It might be a sad bereavement. It might be a transition to university or a new job. It might be a relationship breakdown. It's something that triggers a stress response. Then the reaction is a changing in eating habits, consciously or unconsciously. Sometimes it can be a deliberate decision to lose weight and go on a diet. Sometimes it can be accidental weight loss, which then becomes problematic and habitual. My major trigger was at 17 years old and going through a difficult relationship split. It was a split from the first boy that I loved. It was a heart-wrenching pain because I'd gone all in, with few barriers and complete vulnerability. There was betrayal and others involved. It was messy. My world was turned upside down. It was also A-level time, and you know that can be a pretty stressful time of life. Alongside with being a teenager, pushing the boundaries, wanting to grow up, wanting to branch out, but still living at home, it wasn't easy. I distinctly remember looking in the mirror one day and deciding that I didn't like my body. And it wasn't as though my body had drastically changed in any way. I was normal weight. I was pretty average. But I decided that I wanted to lose weight and this was somehow going to make the situation better. It's interesting because looking back, this wasn't really that much about my body at all. It was more about how I was feeling in myself. Rejected, alone, not good enough. But sadly, the natural instinct was to lose weight to try and feel better. And I think it's not uncommon that this can be a trigger in times of difficulty, particularly in our toxic diet culture. So for me, the heartbreak, the stress, the betrayal, that was the trigger for the eating disorder. It wasn't the cause, but it was the thing that tipped me over the edge. And plenty of people go through similar things without developing an eating disorder. But the seeds are often so much earlier, giving you a vulnerability to this. The eating disorder becomes a coping strategy when other things are falling apart around you. So what about the deeper seeds of eating disorder development? What makes people particularly vulnerable? It's multifaceted and complex. And I'm going to move on now to talk more about some of these things. So my next point is talking about sensitivity. We all have different layers of sensitivity. Some people are naturally thicker skinned and things bounce off them. 
If you're like this, you probably care much less about what other people think. You probably don't get so drained by energy in your environment. On the contrary, if you're born with a thin skin and being sensitive, things around you impact you deeply. And this is common with people who experience disordered eating. You might find it really hard to walk past someone in distress without feeling their pain. You have incredible levels of empathy when hearing about a sad event. You take it all in and life can feel a bit overstimulating and overwhelming at times. On the plus side, you're probably deeply empathetic, caring and look out for others and you'll be a fantastic friend. If there was any negativity in your environment growing up, you might have absorbed it fully though, taking in everything, experiencing it deeply, maybe more than those around you. And this means that you'll be more sensitive to external cues about diet culture, the expectations of others wanting to please and fit in. Any trauma, grief or stress, it might impact you more. You absorb it into the depths of your soul. So sensitivity, although in my opinion, is a superpower in many respects, it can leave you a little more susceptible to developing disordered eating. And interestingly, this brings me nicely onto my third area to talk about self-esteem. Now, I know that at secondary school, I didn't feel good enough. I don't know about you, but at my school, you were absolutely celebrated if you're attractive, had a boyfriend, and you're rebellious and a bit cool. I was none of these things at all, and a bit nerdy, to be honest. I had a constant feeling of not being quite good enough, and I would regularly compare myself to my peers and feel lacking. Now, if I'd had good self-esteem, I would have felt happy in my nerdiness and would have not felt the need to conform. I would have appreciated my own qualities and got on with celebrating these. But perhaps that's too much of a big ask for most teenagers. Low self-esteem is not born out overnight. It's a gradual creeping feeling, likely building slowly from birth and exacerbated by a whole range of life experiences. Being criticised, combined with a deep sensitivity to criticism, not feeling allowed to be oneself and getting into a pleasing role, not developing an identity as too preoccupied with moulding oneself into being who you feel that you're supposed to be. And this isn't to blame caregivers, as they're largely acting from their own place of low self-esteem and doing the best they can. But if you've already got a vulnerability to not feeling quite good enough, and particularly if this gets directed in an appearance direction into how you look, then of course you're particularly vulnerable to developing disordered eating, as you'll be picking up all the messages about ideal beauty and how we should conform, absorbing these from such a young age. Whereas someone with good self-esteem might feel more comfortable to think independently, reject the barrage of diet culture and walk boldly in their own lane. So low self-esteem absolutely plays a role. And this is linked to number four, how we deal with our emotions. If you're not good at dealing with emotions, your childhood will probably hold the key. Because you would have relied on your parents or primary caregivers to teach you how to do this. So if they struggled themselves with this, then of course they would have had struggled to teach you too. And you might not know how you feel. If a parent wasn't able to help you name, validate and express your emotions openly, there's no reason why you should know what to do. You might even have become quite terrified of experiencing emotions. If you grew up in a chaotic environment with a lot of drama or negativity, you might even be quite wary of emotions. And you might not want to do anything that could potentially create more drama. So you might become avoidant of feeling anything. You might have become very good at tuning into the feelings of others around you. 
You'll notice if someone around you is stressed or anxious or not coping. You might have become very good at caring for them and parking your own needs as they feel too burdensome or too much for someone else to handle. You might not even realise you're doing this. You've become so good at being the one who steps up, takes responsibility and cares for others. Although these are fantastic qualities, longer term, if you're not showing up with your own feelings too, then potentially this can massively impact your mental well-being. For good mental health, we need to be in a healthy relationship with our emotions. This be means being able to name, identify and process feelings healthily. So for example, if a friend lets you down, you can acknowledge your disappointment and hurt. You can offer yourself kindness and understanding and you can reach out for support or take care of yourself in some way. If you're not doing this, you might be in a habit of avoiding emotions or blocking them out. If you're not in a healthy place with your emotions, disordered eating can quickly become a coping strategy as restricting or overeating can both distract, numb and deflect emotions. Short term, this offers relief and respite. Long term, it creates a whole multitude of further problems. So my final secret today from the eating disorder therapy room is about body image. Now, if you think about eating disorders, you might think it's all about body image and it does play a part, absolutely, because if you have an eating disorder, there is a huge preoccupation with weight, shape, size, numbers, etc. But it's not all about body image, because often the deeper trauma or unexpressed feelings get projected onto the body in quite an unconscious way. For example, if you're feeling fat, this isn't truly about body image, because we know this because feelings of fatness can fluctuate significantly over the course of a day when the body is pretty much staying the same. Losing weight or changing body shape doesn't usually improve body image. In fact, it can make things worse as progress never feels good enough and the goalposts are always moving. And the physical body reactions of weight loss, including low mood, poor concentration, feeling the cold, feeling irritable and exhausted, take away from the longed-for positive feelings. So that's my five secrets from the therapy room for today. I hope I've given you some insight into the psychology of eating disorders through exploring the secrets. So think about your own relationship with food and disordered eating. Was there a trigger event for you? Are you sensitive or thinner skinned? Or maybe not? How is your self-esteem and how was it before disordered eating began? And how do you process your feelings? Can you do this in a healthy way? And finally, what about body image? Are you projecting deeper feelings onto your body? There's an awful lot to think about here, but have a ponder and reflect on these five secrets. And let me know in the comments about your thoughts on these points. And if you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for regular tips and insights into overcoming disordered eating, do sign up for weekly articles on my blog page at rethinkyourbody.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening and I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.